Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, say with Allah's grace and his mercy, uh, let them rejoice at that. It is better than everything that they collect. So what Allah is calling us to is a farah, a joy, a celebration. Not to some grey, po-faced alternative to the delights of the world, but a true celebration of the meaning of the world. So many people see only the surface of things and don't see the beauty that lies within. It's as if they see everything in black and white and never think to see it in magnificent colour. Two dimensions rather than three. Flatness, skating over the surface of something that is made to be plunged into. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is instructing us by his grace and his mercy to rejoice. And we know that according to many of the Sira authors, the first sounds that the Holy Prophet والسلام, experienced when he comes into the oasis city of Al-Madina Al-Munawwara, having been on that long and hot and dangerous journey across the trackless desert wastes with the knives of the assassins drawn against him to cut short his life, to terminate the life of Islam and to prevent our gathering here today, that he arrives in the beauty of the green city and is met by the young girls of the Bani Najjar, one of the tribes of uh, Medina, amongst the Ansar, and they sing this Tala al-Badru alayna. And the historians argue about when, why, what, but the point is uh, celebration, the farah. Nothing had ever come to their city before that merited such a reception party and such joy. Think about how he comes to the city. And think about how our great ones come to cities nowadays. The motorcade, the security guards, the helicopters, uh, all of that stuff. Remember Boris Johnson came to Addenbrooke's Hotel and Addenbrooke's Hospital a week ago. All of that, and yet still the doctors and the nurses were hissing at him when he came. He had to leave. He was booed out, essentially. The Holy Prophet, comes to Al-Madina Al-Munawwara, and who is it who welcomes him? Little girls, Banat, Bani Najjar with the drums and the Tala al-Badru alayna and they're singing the full moon has risen above us. It's a kind of cycle has been re-initiated. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his generosity sends in the darkness of human history lights again and again, not just once, but then the light fades and human beings start to do their own thing and we become unhappy again and then the lights come on again, the moon always rises again, is Allah's mercy, and now it's rising over the city of Medina, which only recently has been trapped in terrible battles, the Battle of Bu'ath, and the struggle between the tribes, because unlike the city of Makkah, which had its Kaaba, and had its Bata, and had its Dar al-Nadwa, 
and had a place where people could get together to settle their disputes. And Quraysh above the other tribes, Medina, nothing like that. No Kaaba, no Dar al Nadwa, no anything. Just tribes with their fortresses uh, taking pot shots at each other for century after century. And he has been invited, alayhi salatu wasalam, been invited as an arbiter. Remember the first bay'ah of Al-Aqaba and the second bay'ah of Al-Aqaba, they are inviting him uh, because they need him. Not because he's being persecuted in Mecca and some of his followers have made the first hijra to Abyssinia and things are dangerous and some have been killed, especially the weak amongst them, but because they need him in order to, as it were, be the Kaaba of Medina, be the Dara Nadwa, to be the place where these disputes can find their resolution. So of course the girls are happy. Because who suffers most when civil order breaks down? Usually the weakest. Mm -hmm. The young, the helpless, the female, the slaves, the defenseless, the aged, the orphan, the widow. They're the ones who suffer most. Then as now, if there's a war, they're the first victims. So it's appropriate that he be welcomed by them. And then you remember what he does after praying in, in Quba, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how he establishes his mosque. <laughs> so many wisdoms, and that's one of the passages in the seerah that we can read again and again and again, because you see the genius of the man. His position doesn't seem to be a strong one. He's what we would call nowadays an asylum seeker, a refugee, like those people who drown every day in the English Channel trying to get to the promised land of Brexit Britain. Uh, we don't treat them so well and they're vulnerable when they come here. He's kind of also swum the channel and he's come to Medina. He's a refugee, he's an asylum seeker. His, his people have oppressed him, threatened his life, killed his friends, and he comes with nothing. No money, nothing in his pockets, no weapons, just him, alayhi salatu wasalam, and Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, the second, the Siddiq, the friends, they come. Not a strong position to be in when you've got these big fortresses on all sides, a huge qila, the husun of the Arabs, really kind of big bunkers, each for a tribe. And the feuding between them, Bani Sa'd and the Bani Hawazin and the Bani Najjar and the Jewish tribes and unsettled and here he is without a tribal home in the city of fortresses where is he going to go so we all know the story uh, he's on his camel al qaswa and you could write a whole book, book about al qaswa a camel because uh, he has a special relationship alayhi to the animal worlds because the prophet's role is to make things easier for all of creation not just for human creation and we know that when he dies, Al-Qaswa is unable to eat and can't be ridden by anybody else. But that's another story. So he's on the back of his, his camel. Uh, and he says, Let her go where she wants because she's under a command. But not his command, because he's loosening the reins. The Holy Prophet's not tugging the reins, he's just sitting on the camel, and the camel's moving around. And we know that it goes to the different tribes, and they all come out, 
and they say, Ya Rasulullah, come to us. Come to us because we have this particular tribal network that can help you. We have these numbers that can support you. We are a very fortified place. We have weapons, and they're using the language of the world. Huh? The camel goes on to one or the other. It's a quite extraordinary image. It's not Boris in Addenbrookes, it's something unusual. People don't know what this is. Because he has to choose, where is he going to be? This tribe, or that tribe, or the other tribe? And that's going to be something that has political implications for the configuration of the tribes in Medina. But the camel just, they let a camel decide. If only we could do that with Brexit. Huh? Resolve all of that stuff. Let's find an animal to decide how we do this, because we can't. And then nobody can complain. So this is the genius really. Uh, and then he comes to a place that isn't really anywhere, just a kind of dusty yard. Uh, and it's a yard that's used for drying dates, so just kind of mud. The camel stops there. The Holy Prophet's sitting on his back and the camel moves off and comes back again for barakat and then it settles. If you've been on a camel you know that it really means to settle because it's kind of this groan it goes, mm, mm, and settles. It's like a dinosaur. It's big. Horses don't do that. Camels do. They settle. Uh, and this is the place. And everybody thinks we can't blame him for not coming to us because it's the camel's decision. So they're kind of gobsmacked. They don't know what to do with this political outcome. فَسَأَلَ عَنِ لِمَنْ هُوَ so the Holy Prophet asks, who does this yard belong to? And somebody says, it belongs to a couple of orphans in Medina. In other words, again, the weakest, like those little girls, defenseless, to orphans. In that tribal society, to be an orphan is kind of to be like a stateless person, not to have a passport, to be really vulnerable. Sahil wa Sohail, the two orphans. Uh, and it's in that place that he spends the night and it's that place after he's bought it from the orphans that he builds his house which is this kind of shed uh, made of unfired bricks with a simple roof of palm fronds and a piece of sackcloth for a front door and no windows, and Imam Samhudi in his book on Medina explains how his house was, and it's kind of a shed with the ceiling only slightly above his head. And that's where he lives to the rest of his days. And he's in that place, and it's that place that then becomes, as it were, the Kaaba of the Medina, and it's not allied to any of the tribes, and uh, it becomes the new node or center magnet for the social and civil and political and economic life of the city of Medina. Brilliant. And now if you've been to Medina and inshallah may Allah grant us many, many, many visits, you see that's right at the center of the city and it's so huge now, it's like all of the city. Unbelievably vast. You go in one gate and you can only just see the gate on the other side because it's become so huge. It's the biggest building in the world after the Boeing factory, which is in Seattle or somewhere. Um, 
extraordinary. So if you think, I'm going to walk to the other side, well, it's going to take you 20 minutes, maybe. Uh, extraordinary, and it's magnificent, as it should be, and it's like the palace that the Holy Prophet has bequeathed to the Muslims. So even the poorest, barefoot Bangladeshi who gets that, it's his. Uh, and this is built on that place where those two sort of homeless, tribeless orphans, the most weak people in Medina, were located. Their land has become that extraordinary place. So he comes, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as refugee and asylum seeker, but he's not really interested in getting on the greasy pole of getting ahead in the world with dunya. The Quran has already said many things about that. Some of the first things it says are the toughest things. We heard the, the boys, mashallah, reciting so beautifully. Just two words in Arabic falling like unwelcome thunder on the ears of the Quraysh. Rivalry in increase, money, has distracted you and distracts you until you visit the graves. That's what you're doing. Checking the share prices, looking at your bank statement. Has my neighbor got more than me? All of that stuff. Uh, still true. The basis of capitalism is wanting more than the other, not really wanting enough for ourselves, but everything is relative. And so huh, this billionaire has got slightly more than me and has got a larger yacht, so I do the same and it becomes more stress and more foolishness. And Allah has, as one of the first things he tells humanity in the Qur'an, a warning about that. Hmm. What has the Holy Prophet been given instead? Uh, we heard it from the boys again. Inna We have given you abundance. فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَانْحَرْ إِنَّ شَانِئَكَهُ الْأَبْتَرْ so pray to your Lord and sacrifice. It is your traducer. Nowadays we'd say the Islamophobic journalists or something. There's a lot in the Quran about Islamophobia. He's the one who doesn't have a future, doesn't have prospect. Why? Because he's fighting against light, which is not so easy. This abundance, kawthar. What is this abundance which he has been given? that's more important than the abundance which his detractors of Quraysh are kind of competing for. Uh, the number of interpretations. One is that it refers to al-hawd. In other words, the beautiful lake, the pond, the basin, from which the exhausted believers will drink as one of the signs of Allah's judgment at the end time. And uh, on their way, inshallah, to paradise. It's a purifying thing. It's like the final wudu that goes in and gets rid of all of the contaminations. Once you've drunk from that, you're whole again. It's like the water of life. Abi Hayat. Another meaning is that it refers to, and this is interesting as well, I was reading it in Tafsir just this morning, Kawthar refers to abundance in the sense of 
the world and Allah's khalq, his creation. He has created not just a small amount, but an inconceivably vast cosmos. And now, if we understand the scientists, right, parallel universes, there's more and more. A multiverse, it's abundance, plenty, kawthar, so much of it. Inconceivable, but of course, the infinite one with infinite knowledge and infinite power, uh, Al-Qadir, can do that. So we see only the tiniest fraction of it. We go out, if the sky is ever clear in November in Cambridge, and see the stars and think, MashaAllah. But we don't really know what we're looking at. We have no real sense of the majesty of those distances and the extraordinary splendor of what we would see if we got to those stars. And we only see about three or four thousand stars, but there are billions and billions and billions, each one unique, each one with its own particular splendor and its color and its longevity and its function. And, SubhanAllah, kawthar, abundance. An inconceivable proliferation of signs of the uh, irrepressible divine creative power. So much of it. But not just in that world, also if you go to the micro world and you look through a microscope and you see how the cell works. If you're a medic, you might have looked at that. A whole universe within each cell. A billion or two cells in each of us. We think, mm, this poor flesh, I'm not so much. But if you could really see his signs within you, how the cell works in its extraordinary biotechnological genius of its conception, subhanAllah, abundance again. سَنُرِيهِمْ آيَاتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ We will show them our signs on the horizons out there and in themselves until it becomes clear to them that it is the truth. And because of his generosity, subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gives us lots of signs. No shortage, no shortage of signs. Every one of them should be enough to make us say, subhanallah, ma khalaqta hadha batila, you haven't created this in vain. Majesty upon majesty upon majesty, the sheer order and symmetry and balance of it all, if that isn't a sign, then you'll never see a sign. <coughs> and you're in trouble. All of this, rather than none of it, is a sign. <coughs> so this is the one meaning of kawthar. But what does it mean that he has been given this abundance? Well, we know that he has a kind of cosmic role, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammadun sayyidul kawnayni wa thaqalayni wa fariqayni min urbin wa min ajami. Muhammad is the master of the two worlds uh, and of the two conscious beings, man and jinn, uh, uh, and the Arabs and the non-Arabs, he is in some sense the master of it all. But mercy to the worlds, we've already seen mercy to his camel and a mercy to animals and all kinds of non-human things, and that's an important part of the seerah, his mercy as rahmah is universal, particularly to those who are vulnerable, 
as we also saw, but, but universal. So when he is given abundance, al-Kawthar, there's a sense in which he has been given this cosmos. What does that mean? We're beyond here the realm of formal aqidah, but there is a sense in which as the Khalifa, he is the one for whom the world is. How does that work exactly? Well, part of it is mystery. But one sense, and this was in the commentary I was reading this morning, is that he looks upon everything and sees it for what it is, as kawthar, as abundance. We tend to say, oh, here's a column, and here's my friend, and there's a star, and, you know, but uh, we tend just to see those things as they are in themselves. And we might think on some level, depending on our iman, Allah has created this, Allah has created him, Allah has this uh, duty that I have towards that person. Sometimes we think like that, but usually we don't. Usually we just see stuff. We don't see the meaning of things, the rights of things, the majesty of things, the things as they are, as makhluqat, as created things. In other words, unique, never to be repeated, extraordinary combinations of divine names. Uh, everyone, the unique fingerprint or retina print, never replicated. Even identical twins, not identical. Every phenomenon, special and unique, that abundance, to see it as what Allah is doing at that time, to see Allah has done this, Allah has made that person, Allah has given me this obligation, Allah is the author of this moment, ha, that's abundance, that's kawthar. That's when you really see multiplicity, the kathra of the world, as it really is. And that's when you really start to enjoy it. When you see the meaning of something, you enjoy it. Like reading a text in a language you don't understand. Here is a book in Latin, Ovid or something, and I'm told it's a good book and I read it, but I don't know Latin. Maybe you can get some kind of perverse pleasure out of that, but I suspect not very much. If you know Latin, you can read it, and you're going to have a better time. And thus is the believer and the non-believer in this world. If you see Allah's signs and you can read them, you're going to have this farah, this joy. Because you see the book of the world and you can read it. You know what it means and you can see the majesty and you see the colours and you see the three dimensions and it's no longer flat and grey but it's extraordinary. If you can't see that then all that can be done is that through the greyness you think maybe there's more to it than this. Maybe this does mean something. Maybe this text has an author. Maybe it means something rather than these just scratches on the page. Maybe there's something more going on here than, than meets the eye. And then the believer, following the Holy Prophet who makes us literate in the science of the world, tells it, this is how you learn Latin and this is what it means. And once you know what it means, there's no way you can see it again the old way. Because now it's opened up, you can see the depth, it's unveiled. So this is the rejoicing that the girls of the Bani Najjar feel. In their little way, they intuit something great. Tala al-Badru alayna, so the darkness of the night, we can now see. We can now understand what things mean. 
let them rejoice in this. Which is why when we think of him, وسلم, we think of joy, just as we are indebted to our teachers. Okay, it might have been hard work learning to read, but I'm really glad for my teachers who spent the time with me and worked through my alphabet. And yeah, God be pleased with them. God rest their souls. Gratitude. But the one who teaches you to read the universe so that you can see the meaning of it and your eye doesn't just stop at the grey surface, but you can get a real sense of the depth of it, you owe him a greater debt. And a debt that's based on your uh, irrepressible joy at knowing what things mean. They say the likeness of he who remembers Allah and he who doesn't is like the living and the dead. So we want to be alive, we want to be in the world, we want to experience kawthar. Even if we don't have much money and our possibilities are limited and we're sick, and you can still see the majesty of every moment and give thanks for it. And this is, as it were, the real democratic impulse of religion because it means that the little Albanian guy who's fixing your car, who nobody pays any attention to, who may have problems with uh, the home office, uh, he may well be seeing the world uh, in this beautiful way, seeing the Kalthar. Whereas the one whose Rolls Royce is fixing may be kind of not understanding anything. So Allah, uh, his, his justice uh, is something that we often don't see. So we have to be fully aware of this. And as uh, the great ones, the Khajagan of Central Asia used to say, when the believer looks at any person, he thinks perhaps that is Khidr. He might be some ordinary guy. He might be the guy who fixes your, the exhaust in your car. But the believer always thinks, ah, maybe that is somebody who really sees kawthar, really sees abundance. So this is how we should be with Bani Adam to give them husna zan and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the joy of uh, following the Holy Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا هُوَ خَيْرٌ مِمَّا يَجْمَعُونَ It's better than everything that the people of the world are collecting. That's just stuff and they don't see the meaning of the stuff. They're collecting a huge library, they can't read the books, just pray for them. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the joy of this season and insha'Allah a love of the Holy Prophet والسلام, gratitude for his sending and a determination insha'Allah to make his sunnah the essence and the luminescence of our lives insha'Allah and to resurrect us in the company of him and the great ones and to grant us to drink from his hawd and his kawthar insha'Allah and his blessed company for all eternity insha'Allah. Barakallahu feekum, as'ad Allahu alqaatakum, wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.